calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. And welcome to Vulgar History, a feminist women's history comedy podcast. My name is Anne Foster. And sometimes on the show, we talk about people who are not women. And this is one of those times because when it's a story that really has to do with marginalized people in history or lesser known stories, I'm all about it. And I was really, really, really excited when I heard first just about this book. And then I was so excited to read this book because it is about a figure that I think I've mentioned a few times on this podcast just in passing because I've heard of him, but I never really read up on him. And it's Yasuke, who is a man who was born in Africa, and he wound up in Japan for reasons we'll talk about in this episode. And he became known as the African Samurai. And that is the title of this book. So the author is Craig Shreve, who clearly it's a story that he's so passionate about and he's so interested about. I was really excited to talk with him about this book and about this really interesting character, Yasuke, the African Samurai. So I hope you enjoy this talk with Craig Shreve. So I'm joined today by Craig Shreve, whose new book, The African Samurai, just came out at the time that you're listening to this interview. So welcome, Craig. Hello. Thank you for having me. I have to tell you, I was so excited when I first saw that this book existed because this is a figure from history, Yasuke, who I've always been really interested in. And I thought, what a perfect subject for a novel. So my first question for you is, how, where did you first hear about this person? I first heard about them from just a short YouTube video that I saw years ago. And it really didn't have very much detail, but just this, it basically just covered the story of the 16th century African man who was the world's first foreign-born samurai. And when I saw it, I initially thought, I thought it was probably false because I couldn't believe that I that that would be a true story and I had never heard it before. So I started looking into it, expecting to see that uh, you know it's been misrepresented or that it's a hoax or something like that. And instead, like the more I I dove into it, the more I realized that there not only is it a true story, but there's so much more to it than than what this you know introduction I had had to it. So yeah, it definitely you know captured my attention immediately. Can you tell everybody who doesn't know who this person is what who Yasuke was? Sure. 
He was a uh, 16th century African slave who traveled to Japan in the company of Jesuit missionaries and was gifted to a warlord named Oda Nobunaga, who, you know, if you're familiar with Japanese history, he is one of the most important figures in, in the nation's history. Uh, the two formed an unlikely friendship, and Yasuke was elevated to the role of samurai. And so when, when Nobunaga eventually kind of met his end b- betrayal at Honoji, um, Yasuke was there with him at the end. So the, the two were uh, seemingly very close. When you started looking into this story more to see, you know, what was true and what was real, what what sources are there from that time explaining that this person was there and what he did? Right. So I had to rely a lot on uh, like other people's translations because the original sources, of course, are there's some mentions of them in some Japanese documents. I think there's more more details about them come from some of the uh, Portuguese letters from the Jesuits who are, were kind of writing back to the church. So those are really kind of the primary sources. The Jesuit letters are, are probably the, the biggest source. And then there's also some some documentation from some of the Japanese writings of the time. Yeah, there's, are there, am I right? There's some drawings, or I, I know I've seen, I think, old drawings with him in them. There are drawings, and some people will kind of dispute whether it's him or not. So, for instance, there's one, I think, of some of the Jesuits arriving on the ships, and, and there's an African man there. I, if it's the one you've seen where he's kind of holding the umbrella. I don't know if that's the one you saw, but uh, so that's one that people think is probably Yasuke. There's also, a, um, I think it's a silkscreen from around that time of a sumo tournament where one of the sumo wrestlers is considerably darker than the rest. And, and so some people think that that was possibly Yasuke as well. So it's for sure this person, like, I, I don't know, I'm not, I completely understand that this is a real person who is there, but the things you're right. saying, like, this is the evidence, this is the proof that this isn't this isn't a made-up story. This is a real person. Yeah. So the proof is, you know, from the letters uh, written by the Jesuits and et cetera. So yeah, he's a real person. And a lot of the, like a lot of the elements of the book, you kind of have to kind of match up where he's, kind of who he's with, and then study what that person was doing. So it's, in terms of kind of like tracking his path through Japan and where he was and who he was with, there's a lot of kind of like research by proxy. So knowing that he was with Valignano up to a point, you can kind of follow Valignano's path. And then knowing at which point he came into Nobunaga's service, then you start tracking Nobunaga. So um, yeah, there's not a lot of kind of primary sourcing that lays out step by step. Um, There are certainly a lot of blanks to fill in um, and a lot of things that are open to interpretation as well. But yeah, it's an interesting process to kind of, you kind of follow his path by seeing who he was attached to. And so what, at what point did you decide, I'm going to be the one who's going to write the historical fiction novel about this person? I had been doing this research, like, I think it was around 2017, maybe, either 2017 or 2018, but I think 2017, when I kind of, I first heard of Yasuke. And so I started doing research and certainly I had the idea that it would make a really great story, but I wasn't at, at all committed to writing it yet at that point, because it does involve a lot of Japanese history. And so I was concerned about like, maybe, maybe I'm not the right person to be doing this. But really what it came down to is when the pandemic hit and I had so much free time on my hands and I had to do something to keep myself from, from going nuts. I, I you know, spent some time going through it and thinking about it. And, I, and so this is why I, I kind of decided to write this in the first person. Originally, you know, if you write it in the third person, there's so much other history that you can cover with this and so many other interesting people who, you know, are not a part of this book, uh, unfortunately. But I decided I can, I can write it as the first person and then 
just kind of like keep the focus on Yasuke and I felt comfortable doing that. It did mean cutting out a lot of other interesting characters in history, uh, but that was kind of really the way that I felt comfortable going forward with it. But I, I really felt like, you know, there are some nonfiction books uh, written about Yasuke um, and some of them are quite good, but I didn't see anything kind of English language fiction about Yasuke. And so that was really kind of the big motivator to do this is, you know, fiction, of course, allows you to create more of a character and just, you know, you can be a little bit freer, I guess, uh, in terms of trying to make this a real person and like flesh them out as a real person, uh, as opposed to a nonfiction where you're limited to, you know, what what's available. That was something, too, when I saw that this book was coming out, I was like, oh, I'm sure there's been other novels about Yasuke before. It's such an interesting story. And there, like you just said, like there really hasn't been. So it's it's a story that I think it's so cinematic. It's such a it's such a great story. Like I, what a gift to you as a writer to be able to use this as a foundation for your novel. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's an ideal that any time I talk to somebody about it, they're kind of immediately fascinated by it. So it's, uh, it's never a hard sell, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and it appeals to a broad, broad stretch of people. You know, like I said, basically everyone I've come across, even if it's, they'll say that, oh, that's not usually my thing, but that sounds, you know, really interesting. It's, it's, it's a story that I think people are going to really relate to. And it's also, I think, just where I'd heard of Yasuke before, just sort of briefly in the periphery, I'd probably seen maybe the same YouTube video you had as well. And I always had it in the back of my mind as an example of people think in times like this, like the 16th century, everyone kind of stayed in their own country for the most part. Like people didn't internationally travel where it's like, well, this man from Africa and he got there because of slavery. He wasn't, you know traveling around freely, but just an example, he went there and he's clearly accepted by the Japanese people. I think it's such an interesting example that the people have been traveling for so much earlier than I think a lot of people think. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple things there. So one, um, that was one of the things that interested me as well is that they're really, because the, the Japanese at that time had so little interaction with Africans, there were no like negative stereotypes or anything associated with his skin color that he had to overcome. Um, there certainly would have been resistance from some just because he's a foreigner, but no more resistance than, you know, the Europeans, et cetera. So that's kind of like a unique situation really in, in fiction. I've really never kind of come across that before. So that was a, um, a you know, really interesting element to me. And then, yeah, as, as far as the movement, so while I'm researching this, of course, I end up going down all these rabbit holes and I started reading about black Vikings and black cowboys and black conquistadors. And it really made me recognize that, that like black history is not a separate element from the rest of world history. You know, you know, Africans and Caribbean, you know, they were part of all these, you know, major events around the world. And, and, you know, in a lot of, uh, a lot of cases, maybe their stories weren't recognized or weren't recorded, but, you know, they were there. And, and so I, I really love the idea of this story being, you know, a piece of Black history, but that has a, a place in the larger world history context. There's a part in your book just really stood out to me where he, I think it's where his first meeting, the the Japanese people, and they say, oh, okay, so you're, you're also European. Like you came with the Europeans. He's like, no, no, I'm from Africa. He's like, oh, okay. So Africans and Europeans, they work together a lot. And he's, he's the one who's like, not really. <laughs> Just having to explain, yeah, yeah, yes, I, yeah. So I was uh, again. I was I had you know I had fun writing that scene, and because 
uh, you know, I guess today we look at, you know, African and European as being like vastly different, but to the Japanese of the day, they're both just not Japanese. They wouldn't, like, they didn't really make much of a distinction between, I, I don't care if you came from here or there, you're just from somewhere else kind of thing. So that was kind of, uh, you know, interesting to be able to kind of play around with that in that scene. That does seem to be, from, from what I've been able to read about kind of race relations in that time, there's not a lot, of course, on race relations at that time, but from what I was able to read, um, that does seem to be the case. Yeah, just reading the book, um, which I did read and which I really enjoyed. So it's, um, just so that listeners know who haven't read the book yet, it's just so interesting, like you're describing it, like it's just, it's a, a person from Africa who's brought to Japan by the Portuguese, like it's just an element of world history that it's it's so different. There's not that um, Western lens that there so often is in a historical fiction book. It's completely different, and that was so refreshing and so interesting. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, there weren't the U.S. didn't exist yet, <laughs> um, so um, it, it, it's certainly kind of focused on on more of that region. It, it is an interesting story because people from Europe, people from Africa, people from Japan, of course. There, there are characters from each of those areas that all play a central role in this. You know, nobody's a background character. It's, it's really these three cultures uh, intermingling. And one of the other things, of course, as I, you know, initially I thought that this would be a story about culture clash. But as I was kind of working through the story, I started to see all these interesting, kind of like parallels with African and Asian cultures that I'd never considered before. And I think the one that struck me most was kind of the legends around Mount Namuli in Mozambique and Mount Fuji uh, in Japan, but then also the, you know, like the no masks and the, uh, you know, the masks that the Africans used in the festivals and uh, like the, the music and dancing, um, like the, the tradition of kind of speaking to your ancestors and, and a lot of things like that. I, there were all these parallels. And so um, it was nice to kind of be surprised by that and then be able to shift the story so that instead of writing about a culture clash, it's these two men from vastly different like cultures and backgrounds and upbringings who realize that they have a lot more in common than they would have thought. Yeah. So when you were deciding where, I mean, you say this in, I think it's in the, the afterword in your book, like no one knows where Yasuke was from, but you, you had to make a decision when you're making this book. There's a book from um, a Jesuit priest named Solier, I think his name is, that does say that uh, Yasuke is from the Makor tribe in Mozambique. However, that book was written in 1627, so it wasn't contemporary. So people do dispute that. There's plenty of reasons to kind of dispute the accuracy of that. But I, I went with that because that's the only document that, that speaks about his origin. Uh, but yeah, there are certainly there are other people that think that he was probably from Ethiopia or, or from Sudan. And I think they kind of base that off of the limited uh, descriptions of his appearance or of the kind of uh, activities of slave traders during that time. But yeah, I just went with the the document, even though there is reason to dispute it. And I think that it's really beautiful the way that you work in the aspects of his African heritage in the book, because again, I don't know how much of this you're drawing from the sources, but that he grew up until the age of what, about 12 probably in Africa. And then, so he has memory of it, but it's been suppressed. But as he's in Japan, in your book, you're showing him kind of remembering so much stuff. So it's a way to explain that part of his life as well. So was that always part of your plan to write it, to have, to bring in his memories of Africa as well? And now we're just going to take a break for a word from our sponsors. 
Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. So the thing is, I have allergies. My nose gets stuffy. I get sort of sinus congestion, and it just really can sometimes get in the way of doing things I really want to be doing, like recording this podcast, for instance. But you might have noticed that when you're listening to this podcast, you never hear me sounding like a duck or uh, with a runny nose. I'm never wiping my nose or stuff on the microphone. And that's because luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. So I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies, and the thing is, when I'm using it, you won't even know that I have allergies. My voice sounds so crystal clear when I'm recording and when you're listening to me right now. But also when I'm not doing podcasts, when I'm doing other life-related things, like just going about my day-to-day life, like sitting on the bus or going to work or whatever, going to the movie theaters. I don't have to worry about like, do I have tissues with me? Do I have a handkerchief? Is this noise bothering everybody? Am I being gross? Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. And we're back. Actually, in, in earlier drafts, I wrote it more chronologically, where a lot of his childhood was kind of at the front. And then working with the editor, she suggested that, you know, the, the book really should start with his arrival in Japan. Um, and then you kind of work that in. So uh, we kind of like significantly reworked it to have that come throughout the novel, which I think worked really well. That part of it is uh, so it, it's based off of the you know actual customs of the of the Makwa tribe. But as far as you know, his childhood and uh, that is all you know fictionalized. There's nothing really recorded about that. So that's not based off of any sourcing. And there's something I just wanted to bring it up because it, it really stuck with me. And I just took a, a screen capture of this part of your book in the afterward where you're talking about the difference between written sources and oral traditions. Can you talk about that? So, so Yasuke just kind of disappears from the historical record after the events that are presented here. And that made me realize that really all we have of him are, are observations of him. Everything that's written about Yasuke was written by the Japanese or by the Portuguese. We don't have anything like a diary, a letter, a journal. There's nothing from Yasuke himself. It, it, it kind of makes me sad in a way because 
because of that, we can't really talk about his actions. And, uh, you know, he's described as being like well-behaved and proper in, in all situations, that kind of thing. But you have no idea if that's who he is or if he felt that he had to be that way. You know, I can't tell you if Yasuke was proud or happy or sad, depressed, uh, bitter. Um, we don't know any of his kind of internal world because we don't have any written record from him. And so, but then like kind of expanding that out further, that's true to some extent uh, about um, the, most of the histories um, of cultures that practice oral history. And it made me think that now, again, I, I, it's been a long time since I've been in school, so maybe things have changed. But I know when I was in school, um, learning about indigenous history, it was all based off of observations from settlers. Um, and so uh, it's, it's kind of amazing and a little bit depressing as well to think of how much history is unknown um, or possibly just lost because we don't have written records from, from some cultures. No, exactly. And that's where I think that historical fiction can really come in and help fill those gaps in a way to take the few things that we know about someone like Yasuke, the observations, and then to develop them into a story. So like returning it to kind of a storytelling, storytelling manner. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I always think, uh, you know, a person's story is more powerful than any you know, overwhelming statistics or anything like that. If you can just kind of write one person's story that people connect with, that helps them understand it can help them understand the entire, you know, life and entire culture and et cetera. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that comes through. So you mentioned earlier that you were, you know, during the pandemic, et cetera, but then also you're writing this book about Japan from the point of view of a man from Africa. And this is, um, you say this also in your afterward that you, you weren't able to travel to Japan yourself to see these places. Can you talk about how you were able to immerse yourself in the culture and to learn more about it? Yeah. So, uh, you know, initially, of course, I just started with, you know, books and uh, internet sourcing and then kind of expanded out to there to podcasts and YouTube series. There are some really good YouTube series covering this period of history. And so then eventually, once I got to the point where I was going to write about this, by that point, the pandemic had started and travel was restricted. So I hired a guide uh, in Japan to visit some sites for me. And so some sites we were able to do live walkthroughs was kind of like early morning his time and late night my time, but other other places that, that didn't work out. And so he would do recorded walkthroughs uh, and send those to me and provide some context. Um, and then so during the editing process, then I was able to go to Japan. Uh, so earlier this year, when so the book, we didn't close the book until I think April. So I was able to travel uh, earlier this year and visit uh, the ruins at Azuchi Castle uh, and the reconstruction at Honoji and a few other sites. And certainly was relieved <laughs> to find that it was the way that I had pictured it. But uh, yeah, the, it definitely, you know, being in lockdown presented some challenges during the you know the time that I was working on the early drafts. I was also wondering what your personal background is with things like martial arts and things like that. Is that something you're involved with in your personal life? Not a lot, but I actually did a number of years ago, I did kendo lessons for, I didn't stick with it too long. I did maybe like six months of kendo lessons. But so in the, in the, um, in the book, when you read about Yasuke struggling with the kneeling and, and how his knees and ankles ache, that unfortunately is based off of a uh, real life experience because uh, I loved the training and I hated the, the kneeling. It was, uh, 
uh, I'm not a very flexible person. So that was very painful for me, even though it was just like a couple minutes at the beginning and a couple minutes at the end, that was by far the worst part of the training for me. But that was obviously, that was before I heard anything about Yasuke. So I did, that was just kind of something I did as a matter of interest. But yeah, it, it proved to be helpful uh, knowing a little bit about sword fighting. No, I was just wondering because those parts of the book, I felt like they were written. I'm like, oh, this is a person who knows knows this world. So <laughs> convincing job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I have some experience, but I certainly don't think I would have lasted long in that uh, that period. <laughs> Can you talk about what the role of a samurai was? Like, it's a word that is pretty widely known, but I don't know if anybody, I until I read this book, I didn't specifically know what a samurai meant. Can you explain what that role is in, in Japan culture at that time? Yep. So there's a, a couple things. Um, so the, the other term that's used quite a bit is the Ashigaru. So those are the foot soldiers. Those are like conscripted soldiers. They're they do other things with their lives and whatever, and are called into service when they're required. Samurai are you know, professional soldiers who were paid to train, and and so fighting was their their job. But it's also a, like a social class as well. Uh, I would say the kind of ranking just below the nobility, and so they had different privileges that commoners didn't have. And uh, and so it's interesting that during Nobunaga's period, there was mobility between classes. And that's why you see like Yasuke elevated to the role of samurai, and there were a few others uh, as well. And so, but Nobunaga's successor, uh, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, he enforced kind of a strict class policy. And so that mobility went away. And and from that point forward, it became an inherited position. But during Nobunaga's reign, there was mobility between classes. And so there were people were basically elevated based off of merit. And one of the other things that I learned uh, or that became apparent to me while I was researching this is that the idea of uh, uh, impartially written history is a pretty recent concept. So you'll see history, you'll see stories about Nobunaga that present him as an actual demon. Um, And then you'll see other stories that talk about him like as a progressive nation builder. And I'm sure the truth is somewhere in between. But um, on this note in particular, he does seem to be quite progressive in terms of promoting people based off of merit rather than their their social class or their family and et cetera. Well, and that just, what a time for Yasuke to have arrived there, like for him to have been given as a gift, you know, as an enslaved person. But then he wound up in a place where it was this time when there was social mobility was possible. He didn't just go there and then get forced into a similar role. He was able to, to make a name for himself. Just how fortunate. Exactly. There are, you know, probably a thousand points along the way where if one thing goes different, nobody ever knows who he is. That's also part of what makes it an incredible story, but also makes you think of how many of those people were lost that, you know, if you think about slavery and you think about, you know, how many millions of people never had an opportunity to be anything, uh, you know, maybe, you know, they, they could have been doctors, they could have been scientists humanitarians, et cetera, you know, but never had an opportunity. And so Yasuke to me is an example of someone who through these kind of slivers of fate did have an opportunity. And as a result, we still know who he is today. It's a very narrow uh, kind of, it's a narrow line between being remembered and forgotten. Oh, exactly. And just speaking of we know who he is today. So you mentioned there was the YouTube you saw before. There was also, wasn't there an animated series about Yasuke? There's a there's an animated Netflix series called called Yasuke, and uh, but it it is um, kind of science fiction based. 
Yeah, it's not it's not meant to be historically accurate. Although it does, you know, bring in some of the the characters and uh, and some of the historical elements, uh, but it's written as kind of like a science fiction fantasy. Uh, but but it's a good series, uh, and uh, yeah, so that that was anything that kind of helps introduce this character to to an audience is 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 appealing. Yeah. No, exactly, and I think people who watch that could be like like you were. It's like was this a real person, and then they can do the deep dive to see like who is this really. But speaking of Netflix and series, um, your book has been optioned, right? It's being turned into a series. Yes, and. Uh, the screenwriter is the screenwriter of the animated series. So oh. <laughs> uh, he's actually, um, and he's been wanting to do a, like a more accurate retelling of it. Uh, so it worked out really well. He's actually, um, he's a former Marine who was stationed in Japan uh, for a while. And so that's how he came across the story. So he was already kind of familiar with the story. We've had a couple of conversations and he's he's got some really great ideas. So there was some some development work that occurred on it and then with the writer's guild strike that's currently in place of course it's everything stalled so we'll kind of see how uh, how that strike goes <laughs> but uh, yeah it's exciting to to know that that's on the horizon and and again you know bringing this character to a larger audience well and that's what i i was really happy when i saw it. like the i don't know if this is in the published version but in the advanced reader copy i got there's a foreword that explains that this series has been optioned and all that sort of stuff and Whenever I come across a story like this, that's of a person from history who's not widely known, especially like a black person or a person from a marginalized background, I always think, I'm like, why isn't this a movie? This should be a movie. This should... And then this one, I'm like, oh, it is. It's going to be a TV series. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think that'll be mentioned in the published version, but uh, yeah. I, I, and certainly it stood out as like a very cinematic story right from the beginning. You know, as soon as I as soon as I heard about it, 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 probably the same as your reaction where you feel like oh, this definitely belongs on a screen. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad that it's uh, kind of found its way into the right hands for that. Well, no, it just, again, just really threading the needle. Like there wasn't really a major English language novel about this. And then you're the person who wrote it. And then this screenwriter who's been wanting to turn this, you know, finds it about your book. So it's just, you know, a series of really happy, happy, lucky things. For sure. Yeah. I think they just ended up with it through word of mouth because obviously, you know, the book's not published yet. So I was quite surprised when when they reached out. But uh, I asked them how they got a hold of it. And they, I think somebody just like read a, a notice about the publication and contacted somebody and said, hey, you might be interested. And it, it was just kind of like word of mouth that it kind of floated around and ended up uh, uh, in the right people's hands. So. Yeah. And I think, again, it just speaks to the fact that this this man's story is like you said, whenever you mention it to people, even people who maybe don't read historical fiction or whatever, it's like everyone's interested. Like the story is just inherently interesting. Yeah. And so it's also been, um, you know, we've, it's been picked up by some international publishers and it's been picked up in some areas where there's not a significant like black population or Japanese population. So that's what, you know, I felt like this story had a universal appeal. Um, and so, you know, that's that kind of confirms that to me to to know that you know publishing professionals are looking at this and saying it's not it's not a niche story by any means this is something that um people of uh, of all backgrounds and and et cetera are going to uh be interested in which is so interesting because it's the story of a man from Africa going to Japan there's not you know the typical like white savior character at all like it's really just people of color for the most part yeah, and I actually, so that was one thing I was conscious of when I was writing it is I also didn't want to turn him into a black savior. You know, I didn't want to write a story of like, Yasuke saves Japan. 
Uh, yeah, so I, I was very conscious of trying not to overinflate uh, his importance uh, through any of the events. But again, by by just kind of staying focused on his story, I was still able to tell an interesting story without, you know, having him save the world. <laughs> yeah, no. And again, it was just so interesting to read the book where it's just like an African man in Japan. There's so many um, fictional novels about, I don't know, Henry VIII or Napoleon or George Washington. So it's just really great to read this story that's like got nothing to do with England or, you know, like kings or anything. It's just like... Japan, Africa, like that's where the story is set. It was really refreshing to me. Yeah. And I think a lot of people when they read it are, are going to have. So when I started researching it, I thought, I, I know Japanese history not too badly. And then as I started looking into it, I realized like, oh, no, this is there's so much more here that I didn't know. Uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, from early readers that there's kind of been that response as well, that they uh, they they didn't realize how much of Japanese history they didn't know kind of thing. So. I'm excited about that element of it as well. So I guess my final question for you would just be like the book, again, like we're recording this earlier, it's going to come out this episode the same week that your book is published. So what do you hope? What do you hope people get out of your book when they get when they're able to read it? Well, I, I hope they really connect with the character because that's, you know, what I was most focused on is just trying to portray this individual in a, a realistic way, but also a kind of a very human way of you know, someone who's, who, you know, one of the things that really uh, attracted me about this character is his adaptability, because so many times throughout his life, his circumstances change drastically and, and often quite suddenly. And like, and still every time it would be easy for him to just think of himself as a victim uh, or kind of give in, but instead he kind of bounces back and finds a way to make himself more valuable than, than what, you know, the original person kind of thought he would be. So he kind of proves his value at every step along the way shows an incredible amount of adaptability and resiliency. So yeah, I hope that people just connect with the character. And I also, even though, you know, there's, there's some, there are some dark moments in the book, there's, uh, you know, some, some violence, which I really wanted to portray just to, because it was a violent time. So I didn't want to shy away from, from any of those elements, but ultimately, you know, I hope that people find this story to be a positive and a hopeful one. No, and absolutely, that's that's what I found about it as well. I mean, thank you for joining me to talk about your book. It was the sort of book that I read it, and I just thought, oh, I'm so glad I get to talk to the author because <laughs> I want to let you know how much I enjoyed it. But I also, every question I just asked, I was just like, I really wanted to know more about how this came to be, right. how you connected to the story. So thank you so much for joining me today. And best of luck with your book launch. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I I love the the podcast. I'm looking forward to, to hearing it released. And it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. And I just wanted to ask if people want to keep up with you, I assume there's going to be events and things when your book comes out. Do you have a website or social media where people can follow you? So my website is craigshreve.com. So C-R-A-I-G-S-H-R-E-V-E.com. And probably Instagram would be best for social media, which is uh, CG underscore Shreve. And so, yeah, uh, there'll be the launch. And then um, I have a number of uh, kind of festival appearances that are booked and and i'm sure there'll be more coming so yep stay tuned for updates fabulous thank you again so much for joining me today okay thank you so craig's book the african samurai is now available as of the time that you're hearing this episode it's available wherever you get books i think it's such a important and interesting book and it's a story that so many people i think will enjoy knowing about and clearly craig was the right person to be sharing this story so i hope you all 
check out this book. There's a link in my show notes. If you buy it using that bookshop link, then a little bit of money goes to help support this podcast. But also you can just keep up with Craig and his book at his website, which is craigshreve.com. And if you want to keep up with me in this podcast, I'm on Instagram and also on threads. Actually, Craig is on threads. I saw him there as well. It's an interesting time to be promoting a book when all the social media is sort of fluctuating, but he's there too. So if you're on threads, you should follow Craig there. And while you're there, I'm also so Vulgar History Pod on Instagram and threads. I'm also on TikTok at Vulgar History. You can pick up some Vulgar History merchandise at vulgarhistory.com slash store. Or if you're outside the US, you can also get some merch at vulgarhistory.redbubble.com. I also have a Patreon where for at least $1 a month, if you pledge that support to me, then you get early ad-free access to all episodes of Vulgar History. If you pledge $5 or more a month, then you also get bonus episodes and access to our exclusive Discord community. So anyway, you can learn more about that at Vulgar History, or sorry, at patreon.com slash Writer. And if you want to give it a try, you can get a seven-day free trial and just see what it's all about. Anyway, I was, I'm sure you could tell, I was really excited to talk to Craig. I'm really excited about this book. I hope everybody reads this book. And until next time, keep your pants on and your tits out. Vulgar History is hosted, written, and researched by Anne Foster and edited by Christina Lumagi. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.